0: Happy Labor Day. I do hope that you find an opportunity during these days to find rest, um, not just in a kind of a superficial kind of rest, but that you find some true refreshing in the Lord during these days. It's something we I think we can go and go and go. I think we have enough. There's, there's always stuff to keep our mind kind of occupied where we don't actually seek the Lord and find refreshing in Him. Uh, as Dan mentioned, we are entering a new series in Isaiah or Isaiah. It's an international church, and so I don't know which way to go. If I was speaking in a Malaysian church, I would say Isaiah. If I was speaking in an American church, I sometimes say Isaiah just to, you know, throw them off. Um, But I may go with Isaiah, and, you know, so just just come to settle with that, okay? Um, We're going to be in Chapter 1 today, and so let me begin... By reading the chapter, and I know it's going—it's a long chapter. But I want us to hear the chapter, just as it as given to us by the Lord, and then we will um, jump into it. Okay, Isaiah, Isaiah, chapter one. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left, like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, O rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says says the Lord, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come, now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers your silver has become dross your best wine mixed with water your princes are rebels and companions of thieves everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts they do not bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause does not come to them therefore the lord declares the lord of hosts the mighty one of israel ah i will get relief From my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water, And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together, with none to quench them. This is the word of the Lord. Let me to pray, and we will jump in. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We ask that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, That you would move us from the the places in which we are stuck. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, this um, book of Isaiah, uh, we'll be working, just walking through the first 12 chapters. It's such a long book, it's 66 chapters. And so my my thought is we'll break it up. We'll do 12 chapters, jump to something else, and then come back to revisit Isaiah. Um, There's two things I want to do first. One is talk about why why spend time in Isaiah. And then secondly, just an introduction to the book of Isaiah. So why spend time in Isaiah? I want to begin with a little bit of a confession. For a good portion of my life, I did not love the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament gets a bad rap in general. Um, and I, um, I, you know, I, I never didn't think it was important, but I struggled to, to gain much from it. I saw it more as like, I don't know, source material for the New Testament. Um, a little bit of background story. Um, and I, uh, year, several years ago, I read a book that helped me kind of understand this bigger story of God and worked a lot from the Old Testament. And it just began to, to click for me. Um, and since then, I've had this conviction that we as the church really need to give honor and hearing of the Old Testament. Um, that we need to seek to understand it. I think one of the problems is there's just so much, you know, the, the places of, the, the names of places and the names of people and the, the, some of the cultural things that happen, they're so, uh, they seem so far from us that it's hard to understand. Um, so uh, here are a few reasons why we want to spend time in the Old Testament and Isaiah specifically. One, it is the word of God. The Old Testament has been revered as Scripture for centuries, and it's actually the Bible that Jesus used. Um, A few weeks ago, uh, we we were talking about Jesus' temptation, and how he responded to temptation was by saying, it is written, giving reverence and authority to the Old Testament. And he quoted three times from the Old Testament, to respond to temptation. So it is the Word of God, it is the Bible that Jesus used. And since it's the Word of God, it's important for us as Christians to understand it. And so I pray that as we walk through this, that this will help us grow together as we learn to understand this portion of the Old Testament. Second, it is God revealing himself and his purposes to us. These things have been written down under the inspiration of God in order for us to know about God, but not only to know about God, but to know God through it and to understand how we then live. So, uh, 2 Timothy 3 16, and 17. A familiar passage to some, maybe. It says this All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture including Isaiah, or Isaiah, is God-breathed and is profitable for us. Third, it is a witness to the Messiah. On Easter, we looked at Luke chapter 24, and Jesus was walking with these two men to the, to the town or village of Emmaus. And as he was walking, um, and once they begin to... Um, Talk about the resurrection and everything that had happened. It says this in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted them to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Once again, the, the Bible that Jesus was going through with them was the Old Testament. And that Old Testament was a witness to. The Messiah to Jesus. And so we want to read the Old Testament to learn about Jesus, even though it predates Jesus. Fourth, we need to hear hard truth. The prophets specifically say a lot of hard things. Sometimes we think about prophecy as like telling the future. But really the bigger role of prophets was to say the hard things, to say the things that no one else was willing to say. Um, When when, when things are not okay, we need to know. We, uh, my wife and I lived in Sumatra in an earthquake zone and tsunami zone. And while we were there, they installed a tsunami alert system. Nobody wants to hear a tsunami alert go off. That's not fun for anyone. But to have that, it saves lives, right, if you respond to it. Um, In the same way, we want to hear what the prophets warn us about. Now, there were false prophets in the Old Testament. And if you're curious about uh, an example, you could go to Jeremiah 28, and there's an example of false prophets that are telling the people that, don't worry, we will go into exile just a short amount of time, two years, and we'll we'll be done. But that wasn't the truth. That wasn't the hard truth that it will be 70 years. And it was upon Jeremiah to say the hard truth that people didn't want to hear. For us, as God's people, we've got to be willing to hear the hard truth and not just the things we want to hear. Um, To take that a little bit further, we don't get to choose what God wants to tell us. As much as we may want to, that's not, that's not how God operates. To willfully not listen to God is an affront to God, is an offense to God. It's actually one of the things that we, we heard read in Isaiah chapter 1. What do we need to know about the book of Isaiah. The opening verse gives us some insight. It says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So when? Well, we know from this verse that it was during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. In other words, Isaiah was a prophet for a long time. Um, He began at the end of Uzziah's reign, near at his death, uh, around 740 BC, 740 BC, which is uh, roughly seven centuries before Jesus was born, give or take a few decades. Um, Who? Isaiah is the author, we are told. Tradition tells us that Isaiah is perhaps related to King Uzziah. They may have been cousins, perhaps. Um, at the very least, he seemed to have access to the royal court and most likely was a scribe, had a role in writing things down, which very few would have been able to do in those days. Isaiah had a family and served as a prophet for a long time, maybe 40 years. What Um, What is Isaiah? Isaiah has been given a vision from God for Judah and Jerusalem. The name Isaiah means the Lord saves. Isaiah's prophecy declares this strong warning for God's people from a holy God. But thankfully, Isaiah doesn't leave things there. Isaiah gives us hope in God, who will bring us salvation. In some ways, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is like a blueprint of the Bible itself. Um, How many books are in the Bible? You can say it out loud. 66. How many chapters in Isaiah? Yeah, 66. Um, And they actually, the way the chapters run in, there's this like nice little break between one chapters 1 through 39, and then 40 to 66, which makes that 39 chapters in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Um, yeah, anyway, kind of cool, I think, but it doesn't have any spiritual significance for us today. In this chapter, uh, Isaiah really sets the stage for the rest of the book and why he is giving this message of warning. And so we wanted to take a moment to just introduce Isaiah, but then we want to look primarily, because it's a long chapter with a lot in there, we're going to look primarily at the first half of the chapter, the first 20 verses. And our outline today will look like this. Standing before God, hearing from God, choosing God, or self standing before God hearing from God choosing God or self so standing before God Isaiah chapter 1 opens in a court scene Hear ye hear ye court is in session presiding as judge is the Lord God Almighty on trial is Israel the one who claims to be God's people. And the case is presented before the judge, the Holy One of Israel. Verse four begins to lay out the charges. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. What a devastating indictment. There are four different phrases used just to describe Israel's sin. Two of these phrases address uh, their own sin, their wrongdoings, missing the mark. And then two other phrases speak of Israel's role in leading others to sin, generation after generation. In other words, it's addressing individual sin and corporate sin. Our sinfulness not only breaks our personal relationship with God, but it actually is a corruptive agent to society at large. So let's think about this in really tangible terms bribes something that I think maybe globally, we can relate to in some way or another. So imagine you are pulled over by a policeman for a relatively small infraction. And uh, you know the story you the policeman might say, you know what. We can settle this relatively quickly without having to do all the paperwork. Nobody wants the nuisance of having to go down to the police station or you know, all of the paperwork. So we can just settle this easily, right? It's all subtle speak for, here, give me a little bribe and we will make this go away. A small amount can take care of it quickly and everyone's happy. No problem, right? And I think, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had that thought before, that this is a fairly, a relatively harmless thing. But there's a ripple, excuse me, a ripple effect on you, on the policeman, and on society. Not only did you bribe that particular policeman, but you encouraged widespread corruption by your action. Not only that, you begin to then feel that you can buy your way out of the wrongs that you commit, the things that you do. Now imagine that you, know, you are stopped, You pay just a little bit to make everyone happy. And then the next person that that policeman pulls over, same thing. The next one, same thing. The next one, same thing. And then the next person doesn't have any money. They don't have any cash to settle things quickly. By this point, the policeman's conditioned to receive your bribe and gets angry and levies uh, threats at this person. Or imagine this person doesn't have, maybe there's some vulnerability in their legal status, a refugee in this country. And the policeman can hold that over them because they've become so accustomed to receiving bribes that they then hold this over. Do you see how one small action actually leads to a corruption of society? And that's just one tiny example out of so many different things in the ways we act. And that one's of a more legal nature. It's a little more clear cut. We know internally that bribing is bad. But that's not our biggest problem. Uh, At least, uh, this is what Isaiah says. The deeper issue is that we are turning away from God, our Creator. God who made us and loved us, nurtured us. He's been spurned by His children. The people of God have broken the covenant with Him. When we are in rebellion from our Creator... It's like a sickness, and that's the imagery that that Isaiah uses, like like a body that becomes sick. And sickness attacks the whole body. Any kind of sickness weakens the immune system. And when that happens, then we become more vulnerable to other things, other diseases. Sin is like that. Greed or jealousy can weaken us. But then it can become a barrier between us and God. When we feel guilt or shame before God, then maybe we stop praying. We stop reading His Word. Before you know it, we drift entirely into patterns that further corrupt our hearts. As sickness reaches a point when one cannot care for... Sickness reaches a point when we cannot care for ourselves... And so does our sin. Our condition before God is beyond our ability to deliver ourselves. Two, so hearing from God. To avoid this pattern of sin, we want to hear from God. Even the ox or the donkey listens to its own. And yet we do not. Verse 10 calls for us to listen to God. But there's a heaviness to this passage. We are compared, or Israel is compared with Sodom and Gomorrah. Cities so evil and terrible that God destroyed them. I don't know if you remember the the story in Genesis 18, where Abraham um, understands what God is planning to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Because God hears the outcry from those cities because sin isn't just sin it it affects it oppresses people so god's plan is to destroy the city and so abraham begins to to barter with god to negotiate with god which is a pretty bold move right um and so he comes to him and says okay what if there are 50 righteous people in that city would you maybe not destroy the city for 50 people and God says yeah okay now well, suddenly have you ever done this you ever bargain and you give the give the price too high and then the person the, the seller is immediately yes and you're like oh no I put the price too high uh, Abraham realized, I should have bargained for a lower number of righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he keeps going. They keep working at this until he gets to 10. 10 righteous people in the city. But there were not even 10 righteous people. And at that point, Abraham gives up. Even those who are recipients of injustice in Sodom and Gomorrah we're also guilty of perpetuating the sin and injustice. We like to think of ourselves differently, though, right? We're not part of that sinful lot. Look, I'm in church. I tithe and I lead Bible studies and prayer meetings. I donate to the poor. Isaiah's ready for this thinking. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. We can treat our religious actions kind of like those bribes we talked about. We think we can make a few sacrifices by doing our religious duties and then that will appease things. We're all happy. We can solve things without needing to go to the police station. Although we talk about God, we can do so without any regard for God. We do the religious duty for our own sakes, really. We begin to think about think that uh, maybe a tithe or lots of hours reading the Bible might somehow make up for the ways in which we in which we are um, just living our lives ignoring God, living our lives forsaking God, not listening to God. God's not impressed by the big show. He's not impressed by our outward showings of religious activity. So friends, where do you stand before God? Are there ways that you have become numb to your sin before God? Or are you making your sin before God By making up for your sin before God, by trying to make up for it with religious actions. So, where do we go from here? Choosing God or self. Isaiah is making us or is asking us to make a choice. In essence, there are two ways to live one way is to live for ourselves. Look out for number one, to live in such a way that we get the most from life, or so we think. It's maybe, this is maybe the most deceptive thing about sin, is it sells itself as it's in our best interest. My bribe won't hurt anyone. My gossip about a co-worker was righteous payback for his or her gossip about me. I took some shortcuts to get to this position, but I will use this position for good. We have ways of justifying our sin. Underneath it all is actually it's motivated by serving ourselves. The other way to live is God's way. So let's go back to Isaiah 1. Verses 16 through 18. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In these three verses, we have four commands, or I've consolidated them into four commands. One wash and cleanse. We have been found guilty. Whether or not we acknowledge our sin doesn't really make a difference. We have been found guilty. Our status before God is one of guilt. So our record needs to be cleaned or washed. Two, stop doing evil. It's really pretty blunt, right? Put an end to evil. Stop doing it. We cannot come to God with open arms unless we first repent, meaning we acknowledge that we're going in the wrong direction and that we need to U turn, we need to turn around. We need to surrender before God. Stop doing evil. Three, this is in some ways the counterpart to, to two, learn to do good. Stop doing evil, learn instead to do good. In this sinful world, we have been conditioned to sin. Therefore, as God's people, we need to be reconditioned to do what is right in the eyes of God. Even when it goes against the grain of the world around us, everyone else at work may be backstabbing each other. That does not make it okay for you. It, and what it could mean also is that it, you don't get the promotion. There's a cost that comes with this. But we have to recondition ourselves to do good. God's people would do well to listen and heed the teachings of God. That's why we spend time in the Word of God. That's why we spend time in both the Old and the New Testaments, to hear the full counsel of God. Fourthly, seek justice. This is not merely trying to to live rightly in a broken world, but it's actually to be proactive, to address injustice where it is found. Seeking justice means coming to the aid of those that have been treated unjustly. But it also means addressing the oppressors, those who act unjustly, calling out oppression. There's a beautiful promise in this passage. We have courtroom language throughout, and here it comes in again. It's as if the lawyer is coming in for the closing statements which in the movies is always really dramatic, but I think in real life it's not always quite as dramatic. The final statement, we're kind of ready for it. Guilty as charged. But there's a surprise. That's not what happens. That's not what is said here in verse 18. Even though our sins prove we are guilty, we shall be made clean. Isaiah does not explain how this happens here in this passage. He does do so later, actually. But he's clear that God is the one who judges, and it is God who made a way for us to be declared innocent of these charges. We clearly deserve the guilty verdict. But to use the courtroom imagery... Jesus took all the charges that were against us onto himself. The punishment that was on us was put on Jesus, who was innocent of all the charges. Jesus' death for us made it possible for the scarlet stain to be made white as snow. This this might be really hard to understand, hard to accept even, but I think that's the nature of grace. Grace runs counter to our own calculations. God's grace. We are to stop doing evil, accept the cleansing of Jesus, and in response, because we've been liberated by Jesus, we are to learn to do good, and to seek justice. This verse in Isaiah may feel familiar to some of you. If you've ever sung the old hymn, Jesus paid it all. The the chorus goes like this, Jesus paid it all. I won't sing, and that's you should thank me for that. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Will you pray with me? Father, we have um, just in this initial hearing of your word in Isaiah, we thank you for calling out Isaiah and giving him this message, though it is a hard message for us to hear, that we stand before you guilty, and yet... Through your miraculous work through Jesus, you have made us white as snow. You have brought cleansing that we could not do for ourselves. You brought healing to our wounded body that we could not bring to ourselves. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your deep, deep love that has. Um, meant your mercy on us. And Father, that we instead get to enjoy your grace. Father, I pray that as we go from here, that we might be more aware of the ways in which we have cut off hearing from you, more aware of the ways in which we um, rebel against you, but Father, that we also might be more aware of your grace for us, and that we might live in that reality, that as a people have, who have been forgiven, that we might learn to do good, that we might be a people who actively seek justice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.